pre-order your copy of our January-February 2020 issue, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Loom, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support film comment. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Little Women is without question one of the best movies of 2019, and it's a wonderful triumph for director Greta Gerwig. That's why we put it on the cover of our November-December issue, featuring Gerwig's delightful interview by Devika Girish. But there's even more to say about the movie and its intelligent, complex, and visually rich adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's novel. So I brought together Devika and Amy Taubin, contributing editor to Film Comment, to talk about what makes Little Women a great and important movie that shouldn't be missed in the hustle of the new year. Let's go to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. And this is our Little Women slash Greta Gerwig podcast. Um, There's a lot to talk about, so that's why... We're expanding the purview a little. Um, but here to speak about it is our author of our uh, cover story on Little Women in our November-December issue. Devika Girish. I'm the assistant editor of Film Comment. And uh, I hope you read or will read my interview with Greta. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think people have, though. It's, it's, it's a wonderful interview, and I, I, everyone I hear loves it. Um, and we are also joined by... Amy Taubin, contributing editor of Film Comment and Art Forum, um, who actually was named for a character in Little Women. Uh, my parents named me Amy because my mother adored her. Um, wow, the two of them is... being so narcissistic, <laughs> but I didn't realize it when I was a newborn. <laughs> but now with, uh, we'll come to this, but with the Amy in the movie played by Florence Pugh, I think, you know, Amy's a great name to have. Oh, I think it's an awful she's... name to have now. She's, you know, she's a Republican <laughs> through and through. She probably would vote for Trump. Oh. I don't mean the actress. I mean the character. as she's Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I was very confused for a second because <laughs> I thought you were talking about That's Florence Pugh. But oh. what I mean to say is that the movie does something really interesting with her character and sort of makes her a little less vain and silly than in the book. So maybe no. Okay, we'll come. We'll come to that. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I was. A, I was. I was wondering whether I, I would. I would be able to get that out out of you. But can we start that right off the bat? Um, well, and, but Devika, do you want to talk a bit about? Uh, what, you know, what's your your how you took the movie and, and sure, what struck yeah. you about it? Um, yeah. I'm not named after any character in the movie, in case anyone's wondering. Uh, in the book, I mean, the minor character. Um, I did, but I did read the book growing up, and I really adored it. And when I was reading it as a child, I didn't really grasp the context of the book. I, you know, the historical setting. Um, all the even references to the Civil War, I just I 
you know, didn't have that like scope of knowledge or it wasn't in a place to understand really where and this book was taking place. But the one thing that really made an impression even when I was that young was this idea of a of a little girl who really wants to write. And the scene that always stayed with me was that Amy um, tries to get back at Joe, who is the protagonist of the book, this tomboy protagonist, um, for for like because she's envious, you know, and and she she burns Joe's manuscript, and it's like this novel uh, or a, a collection of writing that Joe has been working on, and she burns that, and for that to be the thing that a sibling does. Uh, to hurt you because she knows that that's the thing that would hurt you the most. No, and and she says that not you know tearing up a dress or um, you know destroying any other possession, but the thing that you've been writing. I think that really nestled itself in my mind and kind of gave me an image of what it meant to be young and to have that aspiration really dominate you know your vision of yourself and your future. So. Um, I didn't, I hadn't re- revisited the book since then. And then when I heard that the movie was coming out and I'm a big fan of Gerwig's work as an actress and I loved Lady Bird. Um, so I reread it. It's honestly, it is kind of difficult to reread uh, now when not, not just because it's a book from a different time, but also like now that I'm older, I found it, I noticed some of the more off-putting things uh, of the book, like, the person Joe ends up with at the end of the book, you know, uh, which again, uh, I'm sure we'll get to because that's a significant modernization of the movie. Mm. And also the language is sometimes a a little too pompous and uh, the book has a slight weird kind of meandering shape and there's like bits of moralization in there and these passages that, that were a little bit grating. And then I saw, and so I, I was wondering, like, how Gerwig would take this text, which also has been made so many times, made and remade for the screen, for the stage, for radio. Mm-hmm. There's a really beloved adaptation from 1994. Um, and so I was just wondering, like, how exactly is this going to work? Either it's going to be another piece of nostalgic candy floss, you know, just part of this franchise remake industrial complex we live in, or it's going to feel really sappy and, and, you know, just like an artifact of another time, like the book now feels to me. And she just, and Greta just kind of destroyed all those assumptions and expectations I had. It just, the thing you immediately notice about the movie is its pace, its rhythm, um, and it's just so emotionally expansive while at the same time being so formally precise and intentional. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I took away from it is, first of all, this shows an incredible level of formal accomplishment, of directorial vision, of really knowing what to do with all the elements of a movie, and that this is a movie that has that feels so full of feeling, which I think is something I haven't had in a theater in a while because the big movies in theaters these days are somehow not, are somehow numb to feeling. The ones that, you know, are really Mm. like big studio movies. And then the movies that feel really emotionally precise tend to be kind of smaller or, you know, I, I think are more like independent and foreign films that don't really have that 
expands to them always. And so it was just this experience that left me, you know, swept off my feet. And of course, the things she does with time, with the dialogue, with um, various contrivances of the novel, that the ways in which she updates them to the to today's times, while also maintaining a certain level of sincerity. So it's never this kind of um, trying to it, this very pointedly, you know, trying to be meta or trying to be woke in a way that feels artificial. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was just impressed that she was able to take this text and actually make it feel original, make it feel fresh while still fulfilling all the expectations of a lover of the book and someone who grew up with it. Well, I agree with everything you've said. <laughs> um, I think it's a tremendous movie. I mean, I think it shows in a way that Lady Bird did not because Lady Bird was a really small movie mm -hmm. yeah. um, that I liked very much, but I, I had no idea that she could do something like this or that she had such, um, such a filmic sensibility um, that all her ideas are film ideas. They're not literary ideas, they're film ideas here. And um, what's really interesting is that the thing that's period about the movie is the thing that um, the publisher tells her when she first comes, because the movie opens with yeah. her older. The movie goes back and forth in time from when um, the little women, the sisters, are in their early teenage years and even less, like they're 11 to 14, and then to the time that they're like 19 to 23. And um, and at in her early twenties, um, the heroine of the book and the movie, and she is a heroine because she's so much larger than the other characters. And actually, the film and the book are couched from the point of view of this person who's going to be a writer who will write this novel, which is the novel we're reading and the film we're seeing. Um, that we see her going, standing outside the door of a possible publisher for her short stories. And what he tells her after he marks a story up and cuts it to ribbons <laughs> is that every woman in the story must end up married or dead. And that's exactly what happens in Little Women. Um, and that's the period part of it. You know, and that's the the part of it that you feel like this was then. And when Joe in the book marries a 40-year-old German professor with a beard, exactly. it's just <laughs> horrifying. But, you know, in the film when she marries Louis Garrel and knows that she doesn't have very much use for him, certainly not as much writing, it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. And... and the casting of Louis Garrel was a really smart move on Gerwig's part, oh, I think, fantastic. because I think something that readers of the book and even um, people, you know, who love the Jolene Armstrong version, mm -hmm. um, it, that part is really hard to swallow that she ends up with this professor over Laurie. I mean, in the previous movie, it's Christian Bale versus, 
you know, a much older German professor. But then when the choice is between Timothy Chalamet <laughs> and Louis Garrel, it's much more palatable <laughs> that she ends up with Louis Garrel. Right. It makes sense. <laughs> um, but, you know, just uh, talking about the romance aspect of the novel, Amy, you've made a case for Little Women in, the, in our next issue. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Just in which we talk about the best movies end. of the year, and you wrote a little capsule on Little Women. Right, and I forgot what I said. <laughs> so there's one line that I found really interesting, but I didn't fully understand what you meant. So I'll take the opportunity now <laughs> to ask you. And you said that um, in the four March sisters, there isn't a hint of disruptive sexuality, which is oddly oh, liberating. Yes. Hmm. And I was wondering what exactly you meant by that. Uh, and in what way did you find that liberating? It's just something I didn't notice. You know, when you look at this movie and say you compare it to something like Tomboy, um, mm-hmm. um, which I'm thinking of because uh, Portrait of Lady is one of the great movies, and they're occurring on lists next to Little Women, you know? Yes. The two, <laughs> or there are two or three, or maybe four movies you could put on 10 best lists. And in those, in that, in most movies, whether they're by men or women, um, the sexuality of teenage girls is always disruptive to the society. Either they come between a married couple Mm -hmm. or they're somewhat modeled on Lolita. Um, Or... And that's the way teenage girls are used, and particularly in horror films, Mm -hmm. that they have this, they exude this disruption to the planet, to other people, to everything. There's nothing of that here. There's energy. There's physical energy. There's uh, intellectual energy. There's all kinds of energy. I think, frankly, the reason that they're having a hard time selling the movie is that the actresses are not sexualized. Mm. When you look at the trailer, when you look at the stills, they are not sexualized, even when the actress who plays Amy, in a strategic way, wears low-cut ball <laughs> She is not particularly uh, offering herself up in that way. Mm. Um, and I think... I think that's very, very interesting, mm. and I totally applaud it. But I also think it's the tr- it's probably one of the problems mm. and reasons why they can't lure guys into their preview screenings. Well, I went to one, <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's that's so interesting because now it's making me think. I think one of the reasons the book does feel a little little bit remote and many books like these, uh, which are about the coming of age of young women, which were written, you know, in past centuries, sometimes feel a bit um, tame and remote for me, you know, as a young woman reading them is because of that kind of clamping down on sexuality. That's something I didn't think of until now when you just said it. And that's, it makes the portrait of coming of age maybe feel a little less realistic because sexuality is such a big part of that period of someone's life. But in the movie, I think what you're saying is so right because it it 
feels like an intentional decision not to comment upon it, even though there's, like you say, Amy is, you know, trying to use her sexuality in a way um, to get ahead in life even. And the book still, sorry, the movie still manages to feel very realistic and affecting, even though it's not really delving into that part of these young women's coming of age to me. Because the movie is so much about sisterhood. Mm-hmm. About sisterhood and about intellectual ambitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really foregrounds those aspects and it inhabits that part of coming of age of young women so fully that you don't, you're not thinking about, about these other things. Because I, it makes sense that someone who is so single-mindedly focused on wanting to become a writer and being independent would lead you know, her teenage years this way. I think that's quite remarkable. And also, Louisa May Alcott never married. Exactly. Never had children. Mm. She was a writer. Um, And that's something I was going to say that also, um, and I talked to Greta about this in my interview, is that a lot of people do think that uh, Alcott may have been queer. I mean, it's it's sort of not maybe appropriate to impose our interpretations of life you know, lifestyles on, on people long gone. But there are, there's things she's written in her diaries. Um, things like, I, I, it's like, I feel like a woman born in a man's body. You're talking about her love for other women. The fact that she's loved women in a way that she's never loved men. These sorts of ideas that she might have had, a, you know, sexuality. I mean, she, she might have been queer, to put it mm-hmm. as broadly as possible. And... Something I do find interesting... Well, Joe is queer. Joe wants to be a boy. Exactly, She yeah. says so openly from, you right. know, childhood. And, yeah. and that Joe is like this surrogate for Alcott in a way. And what I think is really interesting about the movie is Timothy Chalamet and Sir Ronan, and Gerwig said this in a different interview that I was reading, that they both have an androgynous quality, hmm. so their relationship genuinely doesn't feel sexual and they both feel like they're kind of liminal in in like they're both even as personalities and actors mm. you know Saoirse Ronan is not sort of very typically feminine Timothy Chalamet en- engages in a lot of that sort of I mean you know he's uh, his public image is so formed by call me by your name and the way he dresses it's very much like a different kind of masculinity a sort of softer masculinity open to different sorts of energies and so mm-hmm. they're casting and and when joe cuts her hair and the and timothy chalamet has this floppy hair there's some kind of mirroring there mm-hmm. and there's some kind of idea that mm. uh, without really saying it explicitly there's an exploration of different kind of sexuality different kind of um just relationships that are not just friendships or siblinghood or romantic relationships, but a space mm. for another kind of person-to-person just existence mm. and bond. And that is something uh, that I think makes makes the movie feel even more modern. Yeah. No, that's really interesting to think of different types of relationships and um, which I'm of two minds about. Partly it feels radical just because you know, roles were even more rigid than than they are now. But at the same time, it feels like it's a possible kind of excavation that uh, Gerwig is doing a little bit, where she's saying, it reminds me of something that came up in the interview, actually, where she was, she said, 
you know, she was looking at photographs of people at the time and, and you know, of, of young, young women and their, their hair is kind of a mess and they kind of look angry to be sitting there in front of the photograph, photo, you know, camera for however long it took. Like, well, what is this? Why am I sitting here? Um, and she, she said to herself something like, oh, OK, so these were real people. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like they're just people, you know. Um, so in that sense, it's like she's kind of finding those real, real people, kind of pushing past all the fiction that we have between us and and these these characters like all the you know decades and, and almost you know over a century of representations of people from another time um to try to find something more you know distinctive and individual about about the character so that that rings that that does ring ring true to me um and 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 being a like trailblazer or being independent in any way um that kind of necessitates, uh, as, 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 as Joe is, that necessitates a kind of new kind of portrait, I think, a new kind of characterization to be faithful to it. Um, but but uh, another thing I just want to pick up on is, is the sense of like, if, if there's not the sense of like the sexual disruption uh, in the movie, um, I mean, yeah, for me, I, I wasn't really, that wasn't something that was, I was t tuned into because, not because, but partly just because I was so... Um, I don't know. Uh, I was just so fascinated by the sisterly or, you know, energy, like some of the most thrilling scenes for me, I mean, one or two are just like when it's, it's a room of all, all of them in a room, you know, and my surrogate is like, you know, the Timothy, Timothy Chalamet characters <laughs> just standing there, just like a Muppet, you know, just kind of watching as this bustle goes on. And, and, you know, the, and, yeah. yeah. And it's clear. I mean, it was clear in the book, but it's much clearer in the movie and in this movie than the previous movies, that he falls in love with the family. <laughs> he doesn't fall in love with any particular yeah. sister, although he has a kind of, he's a kind of soulmate of Joe's mm. because right. she is the most like a brother to him. Mm. But um, he'll take any one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to tap into that, you know, March energy. Mm. Um, but yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's interesting because it, it it adds another kind of vector in the movie. You know, it's not that it's just about two sisters who are jealous of each other, but it's really the whole family and all the women together have something that is enviable. And for me, that felt like something kind right. of radical too. You know, I I don't have any sisters. I have a brother. Me and too. I, and I've never, I mean, I've always thought, oh, it's so great that I have a brother. Brothers and sisters have such a unique relationship. But then I saw this movie and I thought, <laughs> I wish I had a sister. <laughs> Let's hope your brother's not listening. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm sure we both could have used another sister. I mean, I I do have a lot of friends who grew up in families of sisters, um, and they are the March sisters are enviable because while Amy does that terrible thing to Joe, um, and and they, the two of them are extremely competitive, mm -hmm. um, there also is a way in which these actions get thrown off. And there is this kind of unconditional love yeah. that I have never seen among my friends who have sisters, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Yeah. No, for sure. And, but, you know, I think that is true. At the same time, what I do like about both the book and the movie, and I think the movie brings this aspect to life even more vividly, is that they do get actually rancorous sometimes and they do yeah. hurt each mm. other. And, you know, this, the line where Marmy, uh, the mother, says to Joe, 
I'm angry every day of my life. And she really goes to the movie like a walking saint. You know, she's just, yeah. she's saintly to the point that it feels unrealistic, but Laura Dern is so amazing in the role that she mm. makes it feel, you know, it, it, it totally feels like this is a real person and they are just have the biggest heart in the world. But then she says that line and it, it's so unsettling because you've gotten used to this image of this, uh, this mother. And then she says, I'm angry every day of my life. And you think, okay, what is underneath that exterior? All these scenes that we've seen until now where she was smiling and generous and kind and telling her daughters to be kind. What was she suppressing underneath all of that? But she's and, not, she says she's, I mean, if you can believe her, she's mm. not suppressing it. She's refusing to let it take mm. over her right. existence. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and oh. I, I think in terms of the adults in the movie, um, <laughs> so we also have Meryl Streep <laughs> as the rich aunt, the sister mm. of the absent father who's mm. gone off to fight on the side of the North in the Civil War because this whole family... Uh, was part of the emancipation. Mm -hmm. um, and Meryl Streep, actually, more than Joe, I think is the stand-in for Alcott. Because yeah. where does her money come from? Mm -hmm. Women didn't... Where did she get her money for, come from? This is never clear. Mm -hmm. The father is poor. His sister is incredibly rich. She never married. How did she have? How does she have all this money, right. this fabulous house, um, and how does she try to make it clear to the March sisters that they must marry? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and it's an extraordinary line. I don't know if it's in the book. They will run whorehouses, <laughs> or um, what's the other choice? Like work in factories. Mm -hmm. um, in order to make a living. Yeah. But the world, you will run whorehouses. It's this amazing <laughs> thing in the movie. Yeah. Also, to these mother figures, um, I can't help but also make a link to Lady Bird. And that's one of the mm. things that I love about Little Women is it's Greta's second solo feature, like as a director, mm. but it already feels like she's established a body of work that has these... Uh, motifs and has themes that bring all all her movies that she's acted in and the, the two that she's directed together. Even though Lady Bird is this small original script based on her life, Little Women is, you know, a much valued, you know, long enduring property of, of just American and broader just uh, literary culture. And there's so many ways in which these movies connect. And, and so that's one of the exciting things about the movie is how she's managed to personalize it in many ways. Yeah, and how mm. she's managed to personalize it and not to have a major studio interfere. Mm. She right. wrote the script. The script is made the way she wrote it, mm. even though I'm sure that along the line, they just must have thrown up their hands and said, oh, we don't have a clue what she's doing. Right, with all the cross-cutting and all, which mm -hmm. is quite ambitious because it yeah. requires a kind of engagement that maybe, you know, you don't always, uh, you're not always expected to do with, with these kinds of movies. I mean, but clearly the movie did not cost much money, <laughs> and they don't have much money to lose in it, but still, 
that she convinced them to leave her alone and edit the movie in the way she has. Yeah. It's right. amazing. It's, it's really remarkable. Yeah. But looping back to what I was saying about mothers, the thing I wanted to say was, one of my favorite aspects of Lady Bird is the mother character. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, the mother in that movie gets to be really mean while still the movie still celebrates and sort of, you know, the movie's really about the mother-daughter bond and how close they are and how complicated that is, but it's still totally suffused with love. But at the same time, the mother is sometimes a really bad person. And I think that's a line that uh, coming-of-age movies especially find hard to tread sometimes. Mm. Adults are either bad or good in, in ways that, this that ladybird just seemed to like cut through those and and say that you know adults and parents are sometimes really flawed people who can be really hurtful to their children while still being good parents and i thought that was just such a realistic nuance captured by the movie and then in little women it seems like it's kind of this inverse where it's the mother figure is perfect but then there's a hint of this disruption this real hmm. humanity and um the sense of being an individual who has weathered life in a way that the protagonists of the movie haven't. Yeah, I mean, we're talking complete, almost completely about character. Um, mm-hmm. And it isn't, I mean, the sense of character and the complexity of the characters is marvelous in the movie. And it's one of the things that's great. But the thing for me that's mm-hmm. really great in the movie is its physicality mm-hmm. and the way it moves in time and space, but the way the actors, the characters move in the space and move in relation to each yeah. other and just this kind of abundance mm-hmm. of, uh, um, uh, of exuding physical energy and following impulses. Mm. Um, really hard to do in a movie that's lit this beautifully because it is the cinematography is fantastic and it's really carefully lit and yet you have a feeling in these scenes that these young women will go anywhere in that space and that you'd have to be following them around and um and that's just brilliant (laughs) yeah yeah and in the interview she told me the technique she uses to achieve that kind of movement and rhythm which I, i i just couldn't figure out it seems so spontaneous that I, I was just so curious that what is the thinking and what is the planning and blocking that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And she said that it's a technique that she borrows from theater. And what she does is she makes everyone say the dialogues once slowly and then slowly makes them increase the pace uh-huh. and keeps on repeating that process until it gets to a point where you say your dialogue and someone just points to the next person before the previous line is over. Mm-hmm. And the next person says, almost like improv or, you know, like right. you have to pick up before the person before you has ended. And, it, and and the way she described it to me also, you know, she was like almost like enacting the process when, when she was describing it to me. And so I could just picture this, this game of pointing and jumping <laughs> in, like the, the rehearsal process itself seem to be this, uh, you know, extremely physical and joyful and spontaneous exercise. And yeah. so then that it made sense that, you know, that translates uh, in that way on the screen. Yeah. And she also said the first note that she always gets, and this was the same for Lady Bird, was slow it the fuck down. And so then she <laughs> has to like work backwards to get right. it to the right rhythm. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, the great directors who are uh, uh, contemporary directors, who are male American directors, have that sense of speed and always hire actors who can talk really fast. Mm -hmm. Scorsese talks about only hiring actors <laughs> who can talk really fast. Uh -huh. Soderbergh's actors talk really yeah. fast. Because if the actors can talk really fast, then it isn't all about the dialogue and the lines. Mm. That's something that's right. like this nut, and then you have everything exploding around it in yeah. space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it isn't, it, it isn't only her technique, but... Um, this kind of uh, rehearsing um, is interesting. Yeah, right. yeah, and well, and, and Ronan, Ronan is definitely an, an actress who can just the, the words can come out in a flood, and she's mm -hmm. she's yeah, very very dynamic in that way. Um, and and it, it's interesting that different rhythms, individual rhythms, all of all the sisters that and the actors that that they bring to it. Um, and also, just I mean, on the level in terms of speed, on the level of the camera work, is just you know, often moving, it never feels like it's, it's never these forced sort of things, like, let's show some life, you know, like, even the dance scene, which, like, dance scenes, like, oh, some of the hardest things. Fabulous. The yeah. dance scene between Joe and Laurie on yeah. the veranda, yeah. that's wow. amazing, that's as amazing as the dance scene in, um, the first movie that Greta's in by oh. Noah Baumbach, oh, which um, is Francis Francis Ha, ha yeah. uh -huh. when she dances down the street to yeah. the boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, yeah. it's you well, know, you know, the, for me, the echo of that scene of uh, Francis running through the streets was the opening sequence of Little Women mm -hmm. with Joe running through, you know, the streets of New York. Mm -hmm. Again, like these like amazing recurrences that yeah. um, it, it really, I think, is the mark of an actress or director an auteur with a vision like a, a, a real sense of vision a real thought out vision yeah well let's 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 steer into that for a bit because i i find her career like kind of fascinating you know where, where she began and where where she's and en ended up which is still just a beginning you know i mean there's there's more to come um because it's a sort of career where you almost could have thought or fear that she would just sort of be you know stopped short at, at some point you know like in the sense of, for example, she was an actor in like mumblecore movies or a couple of, I, I can't even, Hannah takes the stairs, I can't even, Amy's, <laughs> Amy's just well, having flashbacks. Is that the one, there's one I think even before Hannah takes takes the stairs there's, where she's like a girlfriend only seen on, like she's the long distance girlfriend of a character and she's only seen on a screen, okay. like Skyping or something. Because yeah. I really went far back into oh, yeah, her yeah. work while I was back preparing. Catalog. And I actually wasn't aware of this movie. And know, yeah. um, I, I'm just, the name is escaping me at the moment. Well, she was the only interesting thing in a bunch of terrible movies. <laughs> um, but yeah. her the way she was interesting mm. was a little bit strange because yeah. she was so wholesome and all mm. American. And again, not threatening, even though half of the time she was shown taking off her clothes. And she's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and, um, and it was this odd combination of, because she never sold sex. It was almost Marilyn Monroe without the sale. 
And she... Wow. That's a big claim. Uh, that's, nice. that's really interesting. And she seemed oh, also extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. When I first interviewed her, it was after Frances Ha. Mm-hmm. Oh. And um, she told me that when she was at Barnard, she went to be... I can't remember if she was actually in a play or if she applied to be an intern uh, uh, in for ontological hysteric theater, the company that my ex-husband, Richard Foreman, uh, it was his oh. his thing. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Um, and I also always think now that the character in Noah's movie, the pretentious downtown theater director, is modeled <laughs> on Greta's telling of her experience with Richard Foreman. Um, not that wow. they were lovers, but uh, um, something Some about that theater. stuck. Yeah. And I found that really... Wait, you're talking about Merritt's story? That Adam Driver's character? Adam <sighs> Driver's tra- character. Amy spilling the, pre- the tea on it, the phone comment podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's, with the camera that's incorporated into the yeah, yes. performance. That's, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, yeah, that's really interesting um, way of thinking about um, Gerwig. And, and, and it's true. I also, you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it, but it's also like an act, um, another act in the career that Monroe didn't have, right? The, the exactly. part where she wanted, but right. She... Yeah. Where, where Gerwig is able to wrest control and, and, and be leading the narrative in, instead of being the, you know, the victim of <laughs> any number of things. Um, yeah, that's because that's kind of that's that's what I loved seeing develop is that, oh, OK, so she was in those films. Oh, now she's, you know, co-writing bigger films. But, you know, Frances Ha, she's still, you know, what's going to happen here? Because she's still kind of this, you know, uh, interesting darling kind of character. But but it's also very stuck in a certain t- frame of life, time of life. But Mistress America Yes. It's a really good film, and I think mm. it's Noah Baumbach's best film. I yeah. agree. Uh, I yeah. put it on my top 25 films of the decade. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, very good. I like it even more than Frances Ha, even I though I, mm. I enjoy Frances Ha very much. I think both films are distinguished by their writing, which you know, um, Greta mm-hmm. and Noah Baumbach co-wrote both films. Um, but Mistress America, I think, is... By then, maybe she had did she did have a, a sort of a type, and that type was mm-hmm. this pretentious, you know, uh, uh, woman kind of struggling to become an adult. Mm-hmm. And I say that sort of metaphorically. You know, she's older; she's like twenty-seven in Francesca. But you know, these the uh, fumbling and and good-natured and well-intentioned, but not really able to find her place. And then Mistress America is sort of similar, but she's also so like the character's really superficial and you know really obsessed with her image and kind of a fraud and but, but she has these moments of being of understanding mm. that she is one <laughs> which is extraordinary yeah. and which makes her in this comedy nearly the tragic character oh. right and that's the thing she I mean yeah. she has a sense of self-awareness despite yeah. now playing a character who's mm-hmm. kind of you know a, this cliche and it's still such a sincere performance. And I think that's what gets me about all these movies, all these characters. There's just a level of sincerity. I think I read somewhere, um, this was before Lady Bird, that, that Greta thinks, uh, she said something like, 
if a movie doesn't end happily, then why are we even doing this? Or something? I mean, about her preference for even for sort of cynical movies like mm. Francis Ha and Mistress America, that they end on an image of optimism, mm. of positivity. And I think there's something about that, about her. She seems to have this kind of faith in these stories of ambition and aspiration mm. um, that they, they don't just like end the way that, you know, a different director, a different right. kind of independent film treatment might paint these portraits of ambition in a different way. Yeah. And I think there's a kind of faith in these movies that that seems to set them apart from the kind of twee or, or kind of overly cynical or overly ironic counterparts. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And the one line in Mistress America, I mentioned this on in my interview to her too, is when her character realizes that her plans for the restaurant have fallen through and she's locked out of her apartment. And Tracy, who is, you know, completely obsessed and enamored with Greta's character, says, I know what it is to want things. And it's such a simple phrase and it seems to... And it's a phrase spoken in this you know, kind of teen speak of a college freshman. I know what it is to want <laughs> things. I mean, these words don't mean anything. But... They're also, it's so that in that inspecificity is the specificity of desire at that stage in your life, of ambition, is that you want everything and you want to be more, but you don't know what that looks like. And the most famous line in the novel and the films of Little Women is, Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents. Yeah. <laughs> right. Pre-order your copy of our January-February 2020 issue, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza, with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Plus, Alex Ross Perry on screenwriting, Phoebe Chen on NYFF sensation Martin Eden, Albert Serra on the scandalous Liberté, along with the reviews, articles, and columns that make every issue of Film Comment a must-read. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. Also, I don't know. I somehow come back to her acting as well, and like in Greenberg or something like that, where that particular affect she had, which I just felt like I just didn't get. I didn't get what she was doing, but I think part of it was keeping things open in some way and i don't know it reminds me of the feeling of having the two opposite poles in a battery just that kind of feeling of kind of repelling you in some way um but i don't know how to describe it it's it but it's it's well it's odd because jennifer jason lee is the most overly controlled actor Hmm. probably whoever hit the screen. I mean, this is a technician where, you know, she knows where, what her fingernails are doing. <laughs> um, and Greta, yeah, just has that openness to what's going on around her so you feel at any moment yeah. she could charge off in some other direction. Yeah, and, hmm. and, and it's something that I think in history may have gotten dismissed as a kind of flights of fantasy. But if you just flip it for a second, you realize actually that's really powerful and kind of amazing and the potential. And that's part of what's great about Little Women, I think, mm -hmm. is that you, you see that. I mean, in an earlier stage, for since they're, they're, they're growing up, but that 
I don't know, all the things that are stereotypically, you know, f- whatever flightiness or whatever you want to call it or jumping from subject to subject, if you just flip the valence on that, like you probably should, you realize that that's actually also how you would describe a brilliant person, for example, you know, or, you know, so, um, yeah, so that's really another, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's wonderful to, to watch. I think what you're saying and also about not getting the affect mm-hmm. in Greenberg it is, I, I do think that in these sorts of movies, portraits of women who are fumbling and falling mm-hmm. over themselves and uh, and just don't really know what quite to say and say the wrong thing at the wrong, t- wrong time, kind of sc- are screwballish. Right, that's an interesting, yeah. It's, so. I, I don't think we're used to seeing them portrayed that way on the screen, but also be casually like brilliant and erudite and drop just the, this, particular reference at a certain moment that makes you think, oh, wait, this right. person is not just this caricature of a manic pixie dream girl, or, or <laughs> I, I don't even think that fits yeah. the the Greta of of those movies. It's something different. But there's that doesn't take away from what is clearly a wealth of knowledge and an intellectual curiosity and precision. And I have to say, even in talking to her, not to kind of not to keep returning to talking to her but she does have this air of just saying things in the most casual way Mm -hmm. but also then the things she says end up being just casually eloquent and Mm -hmm. you know casually particular and rich remember i asked her something um about something she had said in the Q&A for Lady Bird here. And she had uh, said something about Simone de Beauvoir. And I was asking her about that and Sisu and these women writers. And she spent like five minutes just saying like, oh, I'm just, no, I just don't think about these things. Maybe because I'm not smart enough for that. And, and you know, she was talking about like not, uh, not overthinking things as a director or approaching direction in the way that you would uh, a paper as an academic. And then she said something like, I like the view of a neat thought. And she just dropped this in the middle yeah. of the self-deprecating, you know, denying uh, denying an overly intellectual approach. Mm-hmm. And again, it, th- this reminds me of that line, I, want, I know what it is to want things because it's a really s- simple thing to say, but if you think about it, it's getting it, it, it's really getting at something that's very, not very, easy to put into words it's poetry i mean that's a line it of poetry. really is I think poetic. Yeah, it's a way of thinking poetry, and being yeah. capturing a way of thinking yeah. and being that's really hard to articulate and yeah. yeah so i was really i was so impressed when she said that um because i immediately had an image and i knew exactly then what she meant yeah and i think that's something that suffuses her performances too and that's why it, it's mm-hmm. always been hard to incorporate her into certain tropes or certain mm-hmm. portraits of of women in becoming yeah yeah no i mean it's interesting to compare with screwball a little because that's that's that that was that seemed to be sometimes one way that you know particular like electric and you know smart clever energy would be channeled out it just seemed like it's all over the place but you know um i i, I don't know um i i kind of yeah i i would love to ask her about her and, and her favorite like classic yeah, hollywood movies an odd kind of connections because the most, I guess, still famous Joe is Catherine Hepburn, right? right. Uh-huh. Who was a great screwball yeah. comedian, right. yeah. but so different from uh, Sasha Ronan. Yeah. I mean, so, like, they are polar opposites, despite yeah. the fact that they are tall, slim, athletic, 
women who move like dreams on the yeah. screen. Yeah. Um, and they're exactly opposite personalities. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then there's, there's Florence Pugh in the movie who I, I know we might disagree about <laughs> a little bit, but I, 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 I actually, I, I'm some, one of the people who, who found her kind of the sleeper hit in, in, in the movie. Just, I've been trying to figure out how conscious or self-conscious it is the way she kind of is stealing things. She, <laughs> she's a fabulous technician yeah. as an actor. I mean, she's yeah. fabulous. I mean, her voice, the um, kind of the deep, she has this deep voice that I could just listen to forever. It <laughs> makes everything she says sound incredibly smart and commanding. And the thing is... Yeah, like the, she's a Republican senator. I, uh, okay. I mean, Amy, I just I find her unbearable. Now. You have to explain this because I just... Well, yeah, well. Where is this coming from? <laughs> where is this coming from? It's just all over her, this character. Yeah, I mean, it's not there in Midsummer, obviously. It's mm. that's something else. But, um, you know, in the end... The actors you care about, it's such a personal thing. It's mm -hmm. horrible to say, but yeah. it is. <laughs> it is. Well, anyway, I don't know her political aff uh, affiliations. She is British, <laughs> so it also might be a different matrix. American accent is terrific. It's yes, so good. It is, and here's yeah. the thing. Nick did not agree with me on this What's because that? when uh, uh, when we were going to when we were going to the screening, I said only thing I'm worried about is Emma Watson because I don't think Emma Watson's a very good actress and her accent and her accent does slip in the movie many times and oh, then right. I realized wait Florence Pugh is British Saoirse Ronan is Irish and not for a second you know did I I actually forgot that Florence Pugh was British she yeah. is so committed to the role I didn't mean Miss uh, Midsummer. what she in she's, she's in, in Midsummer. she yes. is in yeah, Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 okay so wait so you're saying she or her characters are a Republican in cast oh I'm just talking about her in um her character in, that she plays, that she plays in okay, Little yeah. Women is very very well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little too well, I guess. Disappears into the oh. character. <laughs> yeah, the, she uh, does. And I will say, even around. Emma Watson actually is very good in the movie, so I will take that part You'll back. Take back Emma Watson. But the accent, it did bother me a little. Accent, yeah. But she's the thing is, she's supposed to be this someone who aspires to high society and is like very prim and elegant. Mm -hmm. So it it kind of works. I mean, in my I, I constructed this alternate. Meg in my mind who affects certain <laughs> accents or you know puts on affectations um, because she's trying very hard to be a different person from a different kind of family and a different have yeah. a different social status but of course she's also wonderfully kind and wise and and learns learns the value of what she has um, and I think yeah so that's a great performance but Florence Pugh I wonder if you this, this thing you're saying <laughs> about um, is it? Do you, are you saying that because she is is the character who represents the, you know, um, I will marry my way into financial prosperity if that's what it takes? Um, I mean, what is the? Is it just an instinct? Instinctive. It's, it's my or? instinctive sense of her in Midsummer too, hmm. that she is conservative. You know that she is conservative in the way she regards the world, in the way she regards in this movie Joe. Mm -hmm. You know, she, and her conservativeness in this movie comes out of 
feeling from the time she's very young that Joe is a rival, and the way she will make her way is to be the opposite in every way mm. of Joe, who is a free spirit. Right. You know. Mm. Well, you know, some that makes me wonder. I don't think I agree totally with that <laughs> read. I, uh, but the I think of something I did. <laughs> the Battle of Pugue. <laughs> something I did think about while watching the movie is um, how, you know, this narrative of of women becoming independent. So much of mm. that is about like financial independence. Um, and you know, and and uh, I'm tr- I'm trying to find the right words to say this, but there's there's a narrative of self empowerment that is true to that time, but I think f- sounds or feels a bit conservative right now. And I was wondering mm. if that. Mm. No, I think that's a wonderful part of the movie. I mean that, you know, it's about money. It's about women and money, and how can you. How will you be able to live without becoming the madam of a whorehouse um, at that moment? But which is not so different from this moment. Um, How do women survive in a world of capitalism? Hmm. I mean, it's very, you know, and, and the money stuff is much more important in the film than it is, or much more marked in the film than it is in the book, where you do have this issue of, well, there's a poorer family and you have to be charitable Mm -hmm. and you have to give up your Christmas uh, dinner to them. and, um, And there is all that, but it, the book is much more about values that are separate from money. Right. Here, mm-hmm. values and money come together. Can you afford to have values? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And there's that one scene, you know, where Florence Pugue's Amy is talking to Laurie in Paris, you know, and she's she's working on her art. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the, the exchange verbatim, but she's talking about, you know, she's afraid that she won't be great, a great artist, and she should give up painting. And Laurie says something about, well, you're a woman and this is a profession and this is a world of men. And she says something something to the effect of, well, it's not just that. I actually don't think I am good at this. You know, mm. I'm paraphrasing. But there's this nuance that, again, I, I was really totally surprised by it, which is it's not just that I don't want to do this because as a woman, I don't think I'll succeed in this world of men. It's like, even that being said, I actually don't think I'm a great artist. And that's, that's a, I think, a real fear um, that it somehow feels very reflective of even the current moment where sometimes it gets hard, you know, when you're an aspiring writer or artist to get a real sense of your value mm-hmm. when there's these social inequities that, you know, are placing an inherent value on certain aspects of your identity. Mm. So, you know, it's something that I find very relatable. It's like, am I not getting this opportunity because I'm a woman or am I not getting it because I'm not good enough? That's sort of a fear that I think many people can relate to and that she and that exchange really captures. Interesting. 
Well, it is, you know, it, it is something that obviously Greta thinks about a great right, deal. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and why she could not make another small film mm-hmm. that would not have done. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting part of the... Um of the, um, the, 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 the path of this film, I guess, is that she really, is, her, her ears perked up when she heard that there was some attempt to get Little Women made again, um, and she knew exactly what she wanted to do with it. <laughs> we were talking about accents before, um, and I just wanted to mention one thing, because it, it felt sort of borne out, just to, re- to talk a bit about um, the filmmaking as well. When, when Devika and I left this screening when we saw it in September, it was like, I said, I, I was kind of a loss for words at first. And then I said, it felt kind of French. Um, and, and I think Devika just thought I was kind of crazy or something. But, but No, I, I was like, well, say more. <laughs> but but I, I mean that only in the best way. Um, but I, in this, I mean, partly it is partly French, cinematographer's French. And then you have um, Des- Alexandre Despard doing the, the score. And then uh, I guess... Other, other Louis Gourel. Louis Gourel, of course, as <laughs> resident, French resident Frenchman. Um, and actually, when we did the um, the talk with filmmakers at New York Film Festival last year, people were saying, oh, we don't know if he's going to make it. He's coming in from Massachusetts. And I thought, what is Louis Gourel doing in Massachusetts? <laughs> and I think it was to literally just shoot within a week or two yeah, some, yeah, some yeah. of this stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the Frenchness... I feel this is a, a very American story or just the film and characters and comes from an American, you know, classic, um, but also f- is, is sort of more French uh, of, of, of a movie than you might expect for, for like, a, 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 like a, from an American director anyway. I think it's partly because of the personnel she's using. But, you know, the, 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 not to make generalizations, but the willingness to like freely move between time periods and... And, and to shift between um, the directness or the obliqueness of the way you're conveying certain things and some of the assumptions that are made about, about, about class that maybe wouldn't always happen, I think, in, in, in I don't know, historical American movies. Um, and I the, mean, all her, re- her references were, there were a lot of French movies in all the references she listed for this movie, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. especially for making a period film. I mean, I remember she said, like, um, there were a couple Truffaut movies in there, oh, right. you know, mm-hmm. so the the idea of injecting a period film with movement and mm-hmm. that too, um, yeah. with physicality and rhythm, she seemed to have actually gotten from various French films. So yeah. that's also that's also interesting to take like a classic American story and think, okay, I'm going to use these right. movies as references, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of shows... I think what she discerned as the important parts of the text to bring out, and it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the Americanness or or the sort of cultural um, setting of the movie, as much as the sense of pace, the sense of rhythm, yeah. uh, the expanse of the characters' ambitions, that sort of thing. And yeah. there's a real complexity in the editing mm-hmm. of moving back and forth in time, because sometimes. She pins it to Joe's reverie, mm-hmm. like when Joe is on the train and is rem- falls half asleep and remembers this blissful period with Beth. And yeah. um, 
but sometimes it's just hard cuts yeah. to a flashback. Yeah. And the fact that she mixes those two, that she doesn't always justify the flashback by the state of mind, the subjectivity of a single mm-hmm. character, yeah. that's what's very French about yeah. it. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's exactly it, yeah. And, and it's not, honestly, yeah, I think I said before, I'm you know, not hugely familiar with everything in the book, and so I didn't really notice a lot of it, how it was being reshuffled or restructured. It was, it's, it's very natural, organic, and fluid. It, that's part of what's just so amazing about it, you know? Um, is that were you going to add something? Or? No. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's just that kind of fluidity. Um, not to say that you know it's only from France that you get these, these sort of things. Um, because one other thing that jumped into mind a bit is when we were talking about um, Gerwig as as as, a, as an artist, a filmmaker, an actor, and and very, it seems sort of American this as well. <laughs> just this 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 combination of of, of potential, but. A telegraphed kind of naivete or open open mindedness or something um, that you can't quite get a, get a bean on, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's another uh, French connection, and this is um, <laughs> going back to what you were saying, Amy, at the beginning of our discussion. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They really are two movies that you can think of together because mm-hmm. of you know various thematic connections, but also both have an image yeah. of a woman. Uh, whose dress is on fire, being beheld by their lover. And so in Little Women, there's a scene in which, in the opening sequence, Louis Garel is looking at Joe. Uh, I keep saying Louis Garel, a professor. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've forgotten what the character is. There's a bear. <laughs> I'm just going to say, Louis Garel is looking at Joe, and she's standing near the fireplace in the home, in uh, the school in New York where she tutors kids. And her dress catches on fire, and she's holding a book. And immediately I thought of Portrait of a Lady on yeah. Fire. And also I think that scene, I, I'm not sure if that scene is in the book. I think that might be, oh, really? like, I don't think that moment is in the book. I think that's a Greta insertion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe, you know, there's, yeah. there's all, I'm just saying there's like these other French connections. Like yeah, the, that's, this that's movie, funny, yeah. it feels like this, a sister of this movie is this other French movie about women, uh, women's desire and women creatures. In which there is a scene of, there are scenes in this movie of the Amy character actually painting mm-hmm. and painting at a particular moment oh, yeah. when she says that, you know, she doesn't think she's good enough. In part, it's that she is so um, um, conservative that she doesn't realize that French painting is changing, that French painting is at this moment where you're going to have Impressionism and this, you know, absolute realism is going to give way, and she doesn't, she, she has no use for that. She doesn't understand that. Yeah. Um, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire is also set a little bit at that moment where the painter also is trying to capture an image of this woman in a way that 10 years later will not be the way anyone paints at uh-huh. all. Mm. That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a part of what's so consistently shrewd and about the movie is that kind of double vision that it can have of, of like the, the, the larger historical view, which leads to some nice little on purpose like little 
slipping slipping of um an anachronism of, of of dialogue which is oh, i think everything works but like in that scene when like um professor bear he, he points out she says you're on fire um and, and she says thank you <laughs> oh that's so right <laughs> right we, i well, i mean i don't think that slang was really happening there We're like you're on fire <laughs> no and i don't think she changed the dialogue very much yeah. but there are little moments yeah. like when um when Timothy Chalamet's character, I think, when he tells her, or when they're talking after he's agreed to marry Amy, and he says something like, I hope we can still be friends. Hmm. That's not the line in the book, because I looked hmm. it up. I, I don't exactly remember the line in the book, but I thought that's such a modern way of saying, right. we're not going to be a couple, but I hope we can be friends. I, I didn't think that that is something people in the 1800s were saying, you know? <laughs> they, I think it's something more like we can be on good terms or, yeah. or something. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's this loosening a little bit of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did not notice that <laughs> moment of anachronism, and that's yeah. so clever. <laughs> I love it. But it's it's so immediate, and it just, it, I don't know. It's, but it's also so yeah. subtle that it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like she has put this on right. the movie. That, mm-hmm. that's the thing it maybe i even subconsciously registered it yeah. and so then it makes the movie feel modern but not with you know greta saying oh i've made the movie modern by right. changing these and these and these things right. it's, so, not, it's not a quote update or something right you know? it's really a mood yeah. of mood that it feels makes, for me current. it just made me feel like i was momentarily in her head because that's that's what she would say maybe immediately you know <laughs> right and I mean, something that I found very interesting, I think people find it off-putting, but I don't. In the, that, in, in scenes that are exterior and take place either in the town where they live, the small town, or they take place in New York, and so there's a lot of CGI, she doesn't make any attempt to make them less theatrical. The, I mean, the physicality of the actors is movie acting, but the settings, you realize, oh, they almost look like back lot sets. Yeah. And that was really interesting to me, that in a movie that where the acting is such naturalism that you would still have and note and light the back lottedness of these sets. Yeah. That maybe that's almost like the storybook quality of it. That yeah, it's you know right. it's something we return to the book, the book and the story. Um, yeah. For some reason, I start for a moment not to inject a whole other thing because probably we should should wrap wrap up. But just for the sake of um, comparing it to like other other um, period films and treatments of that, because I also feel like this is you know one of the best period movies I've seen in a long time for any number of reasons. Um, I don't know, but like say the immigrant. What, what, what happens to you when you think of The Immigrant in relation to this movie? Just think because The Immigrant is also a movie that uses a fair amount of like CGI and composites to, to do that. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm, this is a dead end. We can, we can feel free to say that. Um, but there's something, the, the heart and the sleeve n- nature of, of it as well. And um, it's a totally different type of movie. I don't know. I never saw it. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't really know what to say to that, but I will say the period movie that I thought of Mm -hmm. when I saw Little Women was a portrait of a lady. God, it's like... The Jane Campion. The Jane Campion. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Keep mixing up that with On Uh Fire. One's on fire. (laughs) One is not a blaze. (laughs) Safe. Uh, Yeah, the Jane Campion portrait of a lady. Hmm. And I thought of that 
one of the reasons, I think the most immediate reason I thought of that is because a woman turning down a perfectly good fiance, a perfectly good suitor at, mm. in, in history, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other reason I thought of that movie is because I think both of them do this thing where these, the heroines in both movies are ahead of their time in a certain way because they're craving a sort of individuality and independence that is not easily available to women of their time. At the same time, they have to contend with the reality that achieving that in the era in which they live means also accepting a kind of loneliness and isolation and a level of difficulty. So Mm. for me... The line in Little Women that I still think about is uh, in the movie, because this line is not from the book, it's from a different Louisa May Alcott book, Mm. is when um, Joe says to Marmee in the movie, um, I'm sick of people thinking that uh, love is all that a woman is fit for. I'm sick of it, but I'm so lonely. And Greta added, but I'm so lonely. So that's mm. like completely original. But the first part of that uh, dialogue is from a different Louisa May Alcott book. And so this idea that Joe wants a different kind of life. She doesn't want to lead life like the other women around her, you know, the life that's been foisted on the other women around her. But being alone is hard. And leaving, leading the kind of life she wants requires being alone and requires, you know, leading a sort of uh, isolated and difficult life. And that's something that, I think Portrait of a Lady, it's really like one of the strong threads in in Mm. the other book too, is sometimes you'll make choices that are not perfect because you're a human being and you need company and you need love and your ideals are a little too out of reach for your emotions. Well, the odd connection is, and maybe it just has to do with the bookcases in my parents' house, (laughs) Where Little Women, a Civil War book, was next to Gone with the Wind. And I read them back to back because I was precocious as a reader. Um, And um, it also seems to me that that line, that crazy line of um, Aunt March about women can't make their way in the world unless they become the madam of a whorehouse <laughs> is straight out of Gone with uh. the Wind. Right? <laughs> Which is very, very strange. Oh. I, I have to go and look at Little Women to see if it's there. Wow. But in the film, I think that's where it comes from with Greta. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, I think we could keep, we could keep talking. Um, I just, I want yes. to say as a closing note. Please do, yeah. It is it's hard to talk about this movie in an organized and linear fashion, I think as is yeah. evident from our discussion, because the movie takes in so many different elements and then kind of braids them together, you know? Mm. And so think, and right now, just trying to recall the movie, my mind goes in seven different places. Yeah. Each scene brings up seven different things to talk about. And yeah. and that's like one of the pleasures of the movie is it's it's just very complex every every, Seeing every moment is bringing together several different layers and, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So forgive us. <laughs> forgive us. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's in in, in uh, to sort of restate you're saying it's also a movie that does what a lot a lot of other movies tell you they're doing. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it does it. 
Um, so see Little Women. Or you'll have seen it probably um, by the time you listen to this. We'll edit this podcast in homage <laughs> right. to we're Little sh- Women. We'll so re- you'll we'll reshuffle it. Now we're yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I have one more thing to say oh, yeah, in closing. Please, yeah. um, I, you know, I can't get over how badly this movie is being released. Yes. No critics saw it in time to vote. Um, or there were screenings, but they were so last minute that most people could say, well, I don't think it's going to figure and I won't go, you know, which is most critics are still men and they had no interest. Um, and you look at all the winner movies, um, and some of them are great movies, Mm -hmm. but they don't compare to this movie in many, many ways. Um, and I think... Uh, that Sony has also lost track of the fact that family movies, if they aren't Star Wars, um, are going to be watched on Christmas Day at home on Netflix and streaming. Mm. People will go out to spectacles, but they won't go out to your family movie, which used Mm. to be the staple of Christmas Day openings. Although I do want, I, I hope that the all the stars in the movie and the anticipation to see them on screen. I hope maybe that drives people mm. to the theater. And well, I hope so too. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know. And also, we were just talking before we recorded the podcast about Greta's Vogue cover. Oh boy! <laughs> and you know, in, in which she's pictured with her little infant baby, and. And we were saying like how that somehow seems to take away from the work she has done as a director on this film. And I, I'm so glad we put that movie on our cover. And I wish yes. that, you know, she, I wish the movie was getting that sort of treatment more. But again, mm-hmm. it's screening so late that it's yeah. it's been kind of subsumed by a, a certain kind of media cycle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Vogue cover is unspeakable <laughs> I mean it just is unspeakable I mean yeah. here is a woman who is now if not now about to become one of the great American directors mm. and you've got her in this transparent gossamer gown as a figure of nature in some kind of leafy setting with a baby at her breast and I'm very happy that she kept the baby's face from being seen, but mm-hmm. this naked baby at her breast. I mean, this is the Virgin Mary and child <laughs> on the cover of Vogue, and it is really Like I said, I would like to see horrible. some Noah Baumbach with his infant baby <laughs> covers, too. And Dressed then a, we yeah. will have achieved equality. Dressed in a flowing gown <laughs> as well. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.
pre-order your copy of our January-February 2020 issue, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza, with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Plus, Alex Ross Perry on screenwriting, Phoebe Chen on NYFF sensation Martin Eden, Albert Serra on the scandalous Liberté, along with the reviews, articles, and columns that make every issue of Film Comment a must-read. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment.